This podcast is made possible by Workday and U.S. Bank. Hi, this is Glennis Bryan, CFO of Insight Enterprises, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 649. When I resigned from Merrill Lynch and told my manager that I was joining Julian's auctions, it was like dismay. People would ask, like, why auctions? You know, like, it's such a different business. And, you know, and the reality is, in fact, it's not. Auctions are around for over a thousand years. On the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, you have buyers and sellers. In the auction galleries, in the auction room, the auction house, you bring buyers and sellers together. I'm I'm selling tangible assets. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak with Martin Nolan, CFO of Julian's Auctions. Back in 2004, Martin Nolan was working for Merrill Lynch in New York when he met fearless marketer Darren Julian for the first time. At the time, Julian was involved with Sotheby's in an estate auction for Johnny Cash, but he made it clear to Nolan he had bigger plans in mind and he needed some finance discipline to match his bold marketing savvy. In short order, Nolan joined Julian as his finance chief, and the two have been a management team ever since. Our talk with Martin Nolan begins after this. In a world that's always changing, one thing never does your need to adapt, your need to evolve, your need to grow. That's why we built Workday, a single finance, HR, and planning system that can change as your needs change and evolve as the world evolves. To learn how Workday is helping mid-sized organizations embrace the future with confidence, visit us at Workday.com. speaking with Martin Nolan, CFO of Julian's Auctions. Martin, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm happy for the opportunity to speak to you today. So Martin, we've been looking forward to this. It's a little, uh, not the typical type of business we have on CFO Thought Leader, uh, which allows us all to get educated together. So we appreciate that. But Martin, first, let's find out about you. If you wouldn't mind, Take us back in time uh, and tell us a little bit about those experiences you feel prepared you for a finance leadership role. What comes to mind for you? Yeah, well, I suppose I'll go back to Ireland where I'm from. And um, I worked in the public uh, and private sectors in in Ireland. And I actually did my accountancy exams uh, courses at night while working during the day. And then um, I had an opportunity to travel to Australia. So I worked as an accountant in Australia, 1987, 1988. I came to New York in 1989. I was lucky to win a green card in a lottery to allow me to come to the United States legally to work here and live here. And um, sort of, I started off my career actually working as front service at the New York Hilton Hotel in Manhattan in New York City. I did that for about two years. 
while I was learning about America and how it works and how it operates and all of that. And then I chose uh, to um, join Wall Street. So I trained to be a stockbroker with a company, Gruntel and Company, on Wall Street, which I think is one of the oldest uh, names on Wall Street at the time. And uh, I worked at, at Gruntel and a couple of other firms. And then I joined uh, Chase Investment Services, JP Morgan Chase, and then uh, Merrill Lynch. So while working at Merrill Lynch as a, a personal financial banker, investment advisor, stockbroker, all of these life experiences was educating me and preparing me for the next step in my career, which was to join Julian's auctions. I met Darren Julian, in fact, in 2004. Darren Julian had started Julian's auctions, born out of Sotheby's. So he used to work for Sotheby's. And uh, he started the company in 2003. I met him in New York in 2004. He was actually doing a Johnny Cash auction with Sotheby's alongside Julian's. And um, Darren is a marketing guy and he needed a finance guy. And hence I joined, um, I resigned from Merrill Lynch in 2005, joined Julian's, that's 15 years now. And it's been really, Interesting. So, yes, I still wear the CFO hat of Julian's. I'm also now um, a partner in the company. So Darren, Julian and I are equal partners in the company since 2010. And my job as CFO is I'm hands on. So I'm also wearing many other hats, such as being the face of the brand of Julian's auctions. And in a nutshell, we are the leading entertainment auction house in the world. So when you think about buying something rock and roll or Hollywood or sports um, memorabilia, um, people would come to Julian's. That's our niche, that's our specialty, and that's our wheelhouse. And we also cross over into a little bit of contemporary and street art, like maybe some, some Banksy's and, st and stuff like that. Now, can you, just so um, we get a sense of this, in the last 12 months, what would be a one of the bigger auctions that uh, uh, Julian's was responsible for. Yeah, so in June, in fact, so we'll do a little bit of backstory. So we were the first auction house to sell a guitar for more than a million dollars. That was in 2015, John Lennon's Gibson J160E guitar. We sold it for 2.4 million. So we smashed world records and we thought we would maintain that record for many, many, many years until in 2019, uh, Dave Gilmore's guitar sold for $3.9 million, which was smashed our record. And we thought it's gonna take a long time before we can actually break that record because 4 million for a guitar is phenomenal. But in June of this year, we were, were, were the auction house chosen uh, to sell Kurt Cobain's um, guitar, it's a Martin. D18E 1959 and we estimated it at a million dollars and we sold it for six million and ten thousand dollars. It's the guitar of course that Kurt Cobain played at MTV Unplugged November 1993. Sadly six months after that he passed away but it was a resounding a phenomenal performance people that remember it and so the people that were sort of fans of Nirvana and grunge era then 25, 26, 27 years on they are now in a stage in their lives where they have the wherewithal, they have the, the capacity to acquire a toy like that 
something they can play and enjoy. And it's very likely that it will continue to appreciate in value um, in years to come. Now, uh, the Julians is also a sport in sports as well. Is that right? So it's uh, Hollywood, it's uh, rock and roll, and it's sports. Are those sort of the, the piece of entertainment industry that you're most involved with? Exactly. And, you know, this year, sadly, we lost Kobe Bryant. And in fact, we, we sold some items from Kobe Bryant in our auction in May, which is phenomenal, including his handprints when he got his um, handprints at the Chinese Grauman's Theater. Of course, that's like think of him as a famous sports star and he crossed over into Hollywood because he did that documentary. In 2011, he got his handprints. We sold those for thousands and thousands of dollars. And in fact, coming up um, in our December auction, we have uh, Michael Jordan's uh, number 23, the day that he signed that jersey, when he signed with the Chicago Bulls, 1983. That's a phenomenal piece of our sports culture. Jordan is red hot right now after his documentary came out. And so that's going to go for huge money. We have Colin Kaepernick's. Um, jersey as well, um, his rookie jersey, 2011-2012 season. And we have a, a basketball jersey worn by our president, former president Barack Obama. So these are really interesting items that are going to be included in our, in our sports auction. So, you know, our, our world is, you know, celebrity with, with, with the stars, whatever their, their area is, but they're a sports star, they're a rock star, they're a Hollywood star. So help us understand then uh, the business model here. And I'll make some assumptions. I, I, someone has a piece of valuable uh, merchandise, maybe uh, a stardom has touched it in some way, um, and they can approach uh, Julian's auctions. And you folks, would you generally, you would put it up for auction and you share in um, uh, whatever the price is, there's a percentage or something that Julian's earns or how does it work exactly? Yeah, that's that's very simply how it is. So we do, there's two, two different types of auctions. There's the single owner auction. That's where we will go and work with somebody like Cher or Barbara Streisand or U2 or Madonna or whoever. And we do an auction for them. They're still living, they're vibrant and they're downsizing or getting rid of stuff and they're raising money for charity. And so that's one element of auctions. And the other element is people like you and me and everybody else out there who have items, not enough for their own auction. So they would be consigned to what we call a general consignment auction as a multi-consigner. So many different people consign items. We'd have like a, a day for rock and roll, a day for Hollywood, a day for sports. So in December, for example, we have a what we call our Icons and Idols trilogy auction, December 4th, 5th, and 6th, which is sports, one day rock and roll, and then Hollywood. And it's all different items are in there. We have a dress worn by Michelle Obama um, to, for Christmas in Washington in 2010. That'll be a really highly sought after piece. She's one of the most popular people in the world right now, most liked people in the world. And so to have a dress worn by her to an event, very well photographed, et cetera, um, people you know, would want to own that, and especially museums. So museums are a big buyer. Um, of items that we sell because we're selling iconic items that people want to see again and again and again. And, and you know, if the museum has something iconic, they're going to come to the museum. For instance, we sold Marilyn Monroe's dress that she wore when she sang Happy Birthday to President Kennedy, 2016. 
we sold that for $4.81 million. Incredible. The receipt for that dress with the shoes and the whole thing was like $1,400 in 1962, which she paid for herself um, to attend that historic event. So it's politics meets, meets Hollywood there. And so when people come to us, we charge a commission, a seller's commission, and then also the buyer will pay us what we call a buyer's premium. Gotcha. Now, what are the numbers that you look at regularly? What are you paying attention to? This will help us understand what are those top of mind metrics that you look at before your cup of coffee in the morning or your second cup of coffee, whatever it might be. <laughs> well, you know, maybe a cup of tea. Uh, the joke in, in, in our, at Julian's auctions is you know, Darren and I are partners. So uh, Darren wakes up in the morning and he checks Google. Are we in the news? I wake up, I check the bank accounts. Are we still in business? <laughs> and that's sort of like where it is because the auction business is like, it can be hugely expensive facilitating the project. So we incur all the expenses. Let's say we're doing a single owner sale. We did the estate sale for Doris Day back in April. And so we started on the project in August of last year. That meant we had to go to the house, uh, curate all the items we were including in the auction, photograph them, photograph the home, et cetera, then ship everything from Carmel, North California to Los Angeles, store it, photograph it, catalog it, describe it, all of that, produce. Can you give us the sense, how expensive is, uh, and it sounds expensive to do that type of, but can you give us some idea of how, exp what an investment that might be for you folks to, to it's, do? It's, it's a massive um, investment to quantify it. Every single project is different. And th the biggest expense probably is actually printing the catalog um, because, you know, that's a, that's a huge expense in itself. You're, you're creating a history book. Um, documenting all the items and people, if they even can't afford to, let's say, buy something in the auction or own something from the auction, they can own the catalog, which describes everything. Everything is photographed in color. Then we do amazing exhibitions. So, you know, we have a gallery in Beverly Hills. That's a huge expense. Warehousing is a massive expense. We have four warehouses um, just to store items. And so, there's a long timeline from when you sign the contract and you begin the project with all of the expense, the payroll, the insurance, the photography, the printing, the cataloging, all of the, the and then exhibiting the items. Then the auction takes place itself. And then all, everything has to be shipped, dispersed all over the world. So, and it's like, I, I sort of compare like our business to like farming, for instance. Because you you know you you sow everything, you, you water, you care for everything, and you hope the harvest is successful. You actually don't know how the auction is going to be. You know you you think somebody is highly collectible. You think people are sought after. There's always huge surprises on the upside. There's also some surprises on the downside. Some items that we think would go for huge money, there there's disappointment. And so as CFO. My, you know, my big concern always is cash flow. You know, those expenses are coming at you every month. Payroll, the rents, the, the gallery expenses, the insurance, all of those are coming to you regardless of how successful or not your auctions are. So that's 
it's every day it's watching it's budgeting it, it's it's timelines of when is the next auction and you know what's what's the p potential and so marketing is also a big expense because you have the items now like even regardless of who the celebrity is or the item you can't keep it a secret you have to let people know what amazing items you have and we do a lot of videos we do um virtual tours of the certainly this year during COVID, you know we did virtual tours of doris's day, day's home and we did a virtual tour of the exhibition in the gallery because in beverly hills we were shut down but we still had an amazing exhibition so we did this virtual tour and just put it out on youtube and i mean hundreds of thousands of people actually came uh, to view uh, those so our our job is to engage the, the public create excitement and get them to show up for the auction and bid and win. You, you illustrated it very well for us. At the same time as the finance leader, uh, the idea that it's your responsibility perhaps to mitigate some of the risk, to hedge some of the risk that might be involved here. And again, it, how you put it, you just don't know. And sometimes it's a complete surprise that something was thought to be so precious and, and sold uh, for much more than perhaps it was priced. I have no idea. Uh, but is there some way where you can take, you can mitigate some of the risk, something that you've learned over time? Uh, no, no, we got to take a different approach with this one or else we could really lose uh, big if we're not careful. I mean, I mean, it has to be a discussion you have fairly regularly. I have to and a, a discussion that takes place very regularly with the um, with, with Darren Julian, who's the president of the company. And we also have to be conscious of okay, if we, we're doing an auction and we have a sense that maybe it's not going to be a, a you know a, a massive success, but at the same time we have to think of the brand, and we think of like what we're representing as Julian's and who the client is that we are representing, uh, and so we don't want to um, sacrifice quality of catalog and you know some of, of the expenses. We still want to have that amazing exhibition. We still want to have that VIP reception and bring people on board. So the, there are times when there are, honestly, what we would call lost leaders in the sense that, okay, maybe it's a great name to be associated with, associated with and will bring us future business. So that's something we look at as well. But because of the online component, and, and that's been phenomenal for us, and we were like always sort of ahead of the competitors for many, many years, we embraced online. We we didn't look down upon it or we didn't think it wasn't right for our business. Some of the other auction houses were very slow to engage in online auctions or in, embrace you know, online bidding. We did, and it's changed our, the, our business significantly. And so this year during COVID, we were sort of ahead of the competitors with our technology. And Doris Day auction was in April of this year, was the first auction we did during COVID. And it was a phenomenal success. So we had estimated somewhere, we thought it would be 800,000 to a million dollar auction. We did $3 million. That was phenomenal. But we could see the trends because every day we can see how many people have registered for our bids, how many people have come to view the website. We knew that was trending almost straight up line. It was a, a phenomenal interest. So we knew that this was going to be an amazing auction. And that really heartened us for the 
going forward and during COVID and during the pandemic, because we realize people are at home, people want to be entertained, people want some consistency, some continuity in their life, something normal. And what better to think about Doris Day, you know, the America's mother, if you will, you know, think of all day. She was always smiling. And sort of like that helped a lot of people get through the earliest part of the pandemic. They just had time, they went online. We had a record number of people register and be a part of that auction than any other auction we have ever done, which was phenomenal. So people were at home, people had time, people were wanting some reassurance. And also we found that people had more money in the sense that, you know, they weren't, you know, going out to dinners and going on trips and buying fashion and so many other areas that were impacted, hospitality industry, all that. They had money to buy stuff and they were deciding, I'm going to treat myself. I'm, I want to own this. And because all of the proceeds of Doris Day was going to our animal foundation as well, people were feeling especially generous and they wanted to own something from Doris Day, but also help raise a lot of money for the animal foundation that she had started and was so important to Doris Day. So that sentiment really played out very well and heartened us and gave us the, the courage and um, enthusiasm to continue on doing our auctions with, with, the, with Zoom technology as well. And it's, it's, we're, so we are having a record year, way past what we could have estimated. And what we are also now in a situation is already next year is almost completely booked up for auctions because of, with our pipeline. So we're feeling really good um, in, in, in this environment. And, and we understand why, you know, we're in the entertainment world. People want to be entertained. They're not going to live sporting games, but they can watch an auction, be entertained. Our auctions are on live, live streaming video. Anywhere in the world, people can click a button and be a part of the fun and part of the action and part of the history. Now, you've been part of so many different uh, events and auctions now. When it hasn't worked out in the past, might have been an attractive offering, item or estate, but it didn't work out. What was the reason? What is it that might have, you know, capsized a, what was a promising? Yeah. Uh, it's, look? You know, the biggest why things can be capsized if you use that word is when sometimes when the consigner has a very high expectation so then so it, it comes down to estimates and reserves so an estimate is what we would put on an item as a guide in the catalog online the reserve then is an item where if you're consigning to me you don't want to let it go for less than x amount the reserve and, and the low estimates have to be the same. So if somebody has a high expectation, and believe me, there are many people out there, some celebrities as well, that don't understand the auction psychology. And the auction psychology is low reserves, more and more people will show up into the bidding pool on the day of the auction with the excitement, the adrenaline, the testosterone, whatever it is, People just keep on bidding and they go past their budget and items sell for record amounts. But if we put a high ticket item out there, like very high, um, it was unusual to, um, to have the estimate on the 
uh, Cobain guitar at a million dollars, but that's what the consigner wanted. But we were confident that we could sell it for at least a million. And we were absolutely right. We sold it for over six million. We had 11, you had to be pre-registered to bid in that auction. We had 11 billionaires pre-registered bidding in that auction, which was phenomenal because it was such, it's such an amazing piece. Curious now, uh, so many people must approach you just out of interest uh, for the celebrity estates and what have you. It's an interesting business. There's plenty to talk about and touch points. At the same time, though, when you might meet your peers, financial leaders, other people in finance, what are they asking you? What is it that you might surprise them with? You know, maybe they had an idea what your business model was and you have to correct them. That's not how it works. Here's what I deal with. What, what is it that you always, you might share with them to help enlighten them, whether it's, uh, you know, the, the, the amount of risk you have to take on each year, whether it's the amount of insurance that you use, whether it, whatever it might be, what is it about your financial model that other finance people find intriguing? Yeah, well, first of all, Jay, I, I would go back to when I resigned from Merrill Lynch. And, you know, when I told my manager that I was joining Julian's auctions, it was like dismay, like, like if it was Sotheby's or Christie's, it would have been better uh, in their opinion. But like Julian's like was an unknown company at the time. And they thought it was like just very, very risky. For, and for me, and, you know, people would ask like, why auctions, you know, like it's such a different business. And I, you know, and the reality is, in fact, it's not. Auctions are around for over a thousand years, are one of the oldest forms of commerce. On the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, you have buyers and sellers. In the auction galleries, in the auction room, the auction house, you bring buyers and sellers together. And so it's, I'm selling items, I'm, I'm selling tangible assets. And so, to other finance people, they think, oh, it's, it's, my business is very sexy. It's like I'm traveling all the time. They think it, it sounds so attractive. But I have to have the little, you know, reality check with them that my, every day, like, my job is a gamble because you take on an auction and it's going to cost huge outlay. And sometimes as well, part of our business is we give advances. So that's an added element of risk in our business because you know, to give an advance for an auction in, on top of absorbing all of the expenses involved in producing the auction, and it's like almost producing a live you know, rock show or you know, it's, it's like a live event. You build up, there's, there's a crescendo of, auction day is when it's like everything is supposed to line up and then you're supposed to be able to cover all of your expenses that you incurred and you know certainly hope that if you gave an advance and it's an interest-free advance we give um, that we can at least cover our expenses our commissions and be able to deduct the amount that we advance before we pay out the consigner proceeds Wow. Thank you for the level of detail there, Martin. I have to say, uh, overall, our listening audience is probably one of the more risk-averse groups you're going to 
you, you could find. So I have to believe quite a few of them are biting their nails on your behalf, Martin. I have to say this is, is something of a high wire act compared to their worlds, I would imagine. However, let me get back on track and ask you for a finance strategic moment. Your lines of sight into the auction business, or it might have come earlier in your career, but uh, allowed you to see an opportunity or a risk and you responded to it. What comes to mind when I ask for a finance strategic moment? Yeah, so and to answer your question, yes, this did occur at Julian's early on. So when I came on board uh, at Julian's as CFO, um, small company, five employees. Now we're like 23 or 25 employees uh, and growing. But we, um, there was a, a silent investor in, in the company when I came on board. And so after each auction, there was money being drained away to pay uh, uh, the investor. And I thought, we're never going to be actually able to grow the company because the, the, the silent partner was just interested in dividends and payback. I, I, my hat was, how do we grow this company? We were doing like two auctions a year um, you know, to make it something terrific. And we were never going to get ahead. We were always constantly trying to catch up for the next auction to be able to get some revenue in on the books and in the bank uh, without being drained away. So we, we came to an agreement uh, to write a check, pay off this person who, you know, was motivation was just finance and was just getting money. They weren't interested in the development and the future growth of the company. And, and that's what was so important to me. And so I put my shoulder to the wheel and not just as CFO, but involved in every aspect of the company uh, because I, I believed in what we were doing. I believed in the excitement of the product. We're selling items that nobody actually needs. And when you come to terms with that, you realize you're in the luxury goods markets. That's where we are. We're, we're, that's where we are. We're, we're working with people who have most likely unlimited resources or have additional resources. You know, they have you know, spending power outside of their daily budgets to own sexy, iconic items, whether it's Marlin's dress, it's Michael Jackson's leather jacket or his glove, it's Barack Obama, it's Michael Jordan, um, it's Kurt Cobain, it's John Lennon, whoever. And so when we you know, paid down the investor, and then it was just Darren and then myself, and then I became a full partner in 2010, um, both with the same vision, the same goal of just building and doing something great. And what's really important in our business, apart from anything else, is trust that the items that we're selling are authentic because that's only the one single thing that we have. If people can trust us, we're going to do fantastic things. If there's any element that an item that we're bringing to the market is not 100% authentic, is there any questionable at all, we say, when in doubt, pull it out because we don't want to bring something to the market. And because we're not just selling like a signed CD for a hundred bucks, this is now 
become a very serious industry. This is, these items are alternative investments. These items are non-correlated with the market. These items are a good way to diversify your portfolio. You have an opportunity to own a tangible asset. It's like a great conversation piece. You can cover it. You can boast about it. You can enjoy it. If it's a guitar, you can play it. And in years to come, it's very likely that you will turn around and sell it and sell it for more than you paid for, even though you've had so much enjoyment. And so that's our core principle that we stick to. And if it's working very well, we see the growth potential. Projecting out five years, it's just, it's phenomenal. When we look at the, the pipeline of the business that's going to come our way um, and you know the, the, the demand, and it's becoming more and more popular and people are frowning upon it. You know, you know, when I joined the company, like there was a certain element of, oh, collectibles and memorabilia and this and that. And now it's like, this is serious business and it's a real honor to be a part of it and feel that somehow I helped contribute to, to getting to that realization. It's like, you know, back in the 60s and 70s, you know, contemporary art. And now the graffiti art we used to frown upon. And now like, you know, Basquiat's and Banksy's and all that. Keith Haring sells for hundreds of thousands, even millions of dollars. Something that we used to frown about and hate back, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Martin Nolan will join us in the mentoring round after this. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. Hello, we're speaking with Martin Nolan, CFO of Julian's Auctions. And Martin, we begin our, our segment like this. When you first arrive at Julian's and you have all the responsibilities sort of land on your shoulders as to what, what you uh, just uh, took on, what would you go back? What piece of advice would you give yourself if you could go back in time? What would you tell yourself? <laughs> I would be, I would tell myself it, it was it, it, not only was it like because I was living in New York City where I'm talking to you right now but it was a move to California so it was a huge um, uh, change of everything for me uh, so I was especially nervous about it and you know when I got there I sort of went in sort of like with blinders on. I, I really didn't understand. I didn't to the extent of the, the situation I was, I, I landed in and it wasn't just, you know, my job just, just wasn't going to be in the finance world. If I was going, if this company was going to be successful, I had to be wearing many different hats. I went to auction school, fantastic experience. And, you know, that's one question people always ask, 
There is auction school. And yes, there is auction in school. In fact, you're, you're a graduate of the Reppert School of Auctioneering, is that right? Absolutely, around since 1921 in Auburn, Indiana. And did you have to go uh, uh, on site at the time? I mean, did you go to Indiana to take? Uh, yeah. You did. Oh. I went to Indiana. It was like two weeks of intensive, um, eight in the morning till nine at night. And then um, I did three or four actual auctions, a car auction, and I had to get up and call auctions as part of the training. So it was a fantastic experience meeting people with all different people selling tobacco and selling uh, farm machinery and livestock. Yeah. And, and of course, livestock, I was going to ask, um, we're up to where we like to ask a personal question, one that, uh, you share a habit with us that you have, or part of a daily routine, something that reveals something about the personal side. And maybe it's paid a few dividends to the professional side by, helping you uh, keep your head clear over the years, whatever it might be. Anything come to mind when we ask for a personal habit or routine that you have? The only thing I can say to that is get outside and exercise. I'm, I'm, I'm a marathon runner. I've run six marathons. And I just, if I can get at one hour in a day and be outdoor, either biking, swimming, running, even walking. Where do you um, run when you're in New York? Central Park. In fact, I just came from there right now. So, uh, yeah, I live close to Central Park. So, um, And you, you've done the New York City Marathon then a few times. I've done the Mar New York City Marathon four times. I've done London once and Dublin once. And uh, which one is tougher? Um, well, I would say that uh, New York is tougher, but New York is much more rewarding than any other one because of the crowds and the support and the cheering. The bridges are tough in New York, but... Um, well worth it okay and we always like to ask if you have a book you'd like to recommend mario puzo's book the godfather we're doing in, in a couple of weeks we're doing um robert evans auction and robert evans of course was the producer of chinatown rosemary's baby rosemary's baby and the godfather and in fact we have the script a working script from the godfather in that auction which is phenomenal and so just to be you know, do an auction for someone like Robert Evans, who is so prolific with producing and Paramount Studios, and to go into his home and just think of all of Jack Nicholson and all the famous people, Helmut Newton, all the people that were there in that house, that had a dinner in that house. I think it used to be owned by Greta Garbo. There's so much history there. It's like phenomenal. So yeah, Mario Puzo, The Godfather. Well, that is the first for the CFO Thought Leader podcast. <laughs> I have to say, you you as the uh, the finance leader have more visibility into your sales pipeline than the than the average CFO. Let me put it that way. We, <laughs> we're up to our final question, uh, which is to ask finance leaders to look forward. Tell us a little bit about their next 12 months and how they're prioritizing. Martin, I've had a lot of fun talking to you. I think our listeners will really enjoy this. Uh, before we say goodbye, answer, what are your priorities over the next 12 months? Yeah, so um, there's, I do look forward and I am excited about the future and our pipeline is very strong. In fact, my one sort of concern is that we don't grow too fast. Um, that, that's the concern because we've had exponential growth in the last 12 months and projecting out, it looks to be phenomenal. 
And so I, I, I'm concerned about what is our optimum level? Where, where is, I don't want our business to choke us with so much property coming in and getting more warehouses and hiring more staff and sort of losing touch with the, being very hands-on as I am with the clients on the buy side and the sell side and also with our team because without our team, we are nothing. And so they are like family and we have a very good um, compensation package for our employees and we very good health care, health insurance, uh, life insurance. We have a, we have a profit share um, um, uh, pension plan, which is most unusual for companies today to have some a defined benefit pension plan. And we have, you know, uh, a very good bonus scheme as well. So we really care for our employees because we know how important they are to the whole success of the business and looking forward, trying to manage where's the optimum size, don't grow too big, but it's, at the same time, we are on a growth trajectory. And um, I, I'm feeling very, very confident, especially with the auctions that we have in our pipeline. And just trying to stay true to who we are by bringing honest, authentic items to the auction and so that people when they come to our auctions they know they're buying with confidence that what we represent in our catalog online is what they are going to own when the gavel goes down martin nolan thank you for joining us on cfo thought leader it was a pleasure i really enjoyed that Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.